0: Hello everyone, my name is Chris Gordon, I'm the Events Manager for Readings and I am lucky enough today to be in conversation with the one and only Mari Madison, who is one of the chief buyers at the Readings Carton Shop, talking today about what it is that you might be reading over the summer. Welcome Mari. Oh, thank you Chris. It's lovely to be here. Mari, the days are getting longer, the weather's getting warmer. Uh, What has been the big hits, what has been the big summer hits this year? What books have been flying off the shelves at readings?
1: Well, it's um, interesting that you talk about it being summer because unfortunately one of the ones, well, fortunately for the book itself, The Arsonist by Chloe Hooper, uh, which covers the Black Saturday fires and uh, the charging of one man and the subsequent trial and the situation around it. A beautiful work of narrative nonfiction I investigation. Think, I
0: think possibly one of the best nonfiction books that I've read this year, to be honest. I, I found it yes. completely compelling.
1: I think, um, as our head book buyer Alison said, one of the best of that she's ever read. Great nonfiction works. Um, sad topic. Beautifully written book.
0: Beautifully written.
1: Unfortunately, always pertinent. Um,
0: That's right. That's right. Even
1: heading into summer, so maybe read that one while near a beach or
0: yeah, with definitely with your
1: in the middle of the city or something.
0: Yes, definitely with your feet submerged in water. It is one of the great uh, books of the year. I think I gave it to my partner, and I said, if you can read just the first paragraph and put it down. Then all is lost. I will never, ever recommend another book to you again, I said to him. And, you know, an hour and a half passed and he was nearly halfway through that book. It's that good.
1: Yeah. And that immediately gripping too.
0: It absolutely is. By despite the, very first despite paragraph. the
1: threats, you know, he, he continued on.
0: And that's right. And despite mm. the fact that you know the outcome.
1: Absolutely. But it's yeah. not about the outcome, is it? I mean, obviously mm. with Chloe, it's about her writing. It's about the... Ability to look sort of below the surface of what is happening in these court cases, in, in that grand tradition of fantastic nonfiction writing. Absolutely, Helen Garner, um, Janet Malcolm, number of people have really, really investigated. You know what seems like shocking crimes to find a way of making them understandable to all of us.
0: That's right to bring to bring the humanity back into it all. What about other sort of fiction books have you noticed that are flying flying off the shelves as we like to say in readings? I don't think we've ever said that. I don't Mari. think we've ever we, said we've that. We've in never readings. said that expression. We That's could terrible. say it, now. We could, we say it could, now. we could say it now.
1: We could say it now, okay. Um I would say normal people. Sally Rooney's second oh. novel is definitely a huge hit at readings. I mean it's a huge hit everywhere, but it's a very readings
0: tale. It is. It's the, the Sally Rooney effect seems to be having waves of uh, across the whole country. It seems to me that everybody I know is reading a Sally Rooney book.
1: I think they are. In the way that a few years ago everyone read uh, My Brilliant Friend, Elena yeah. Ferrante, she's kind of grabbed that kind of zeitgeist of the story of young people and their interrelationships as they grow. Uh, As she said herself, she writes only from experience and being in her mid-twenties.
0: I think she's uh, just turned 27. Just
1: turned 27. What have
0: you been doing with your life, Mari?
1: Not that. (laughs) Not not writing it down. And I'm a lot older than 27. But her first novel, Conversations with Friends, was shortlisted for the booker. Her second one, shockingly, was not shortlisted for the booker. But that's okay. That's not just... That's as much a talking point as being shortlisted for the booker.
0: And I think she's just won the Irish Book of the Year. She
1: has won the Irish Book of the Year yeah. and she's nominated for many others. I think she's probably doing okay.
0: I think so too. Yeah.
1: So that's been a huge hit. Um, there's been a couple of uh, books out by, you know, venerable authors that we love. Uh, Kate Atkinson's new book, Transcription. Transcription. Yeah, that's a beautiful book. Um, um, that's set in England during the war? Set in England, yeah, during the war, towards the end of the war. Um, and she has that ability to write a bestseller that's literary. Mm. But a bestseller in as in a page-turner with a lot of plot and a lot going on that keeps you going. So a fantastic book yeah. when you've got a few days off, I think.
0: So that's interesting, isn't it? Because you do sometimes over summers, just when you've finished work and you're exhausted and you've been to all your, you know, family obligations, you do want a novel, I think, that you can actually make the rest of the world disappear. Mm. The Kate Atkinson could do that, couldn't it? Very it could easily. absolutely do yeah.
1: that. Um, another one that I loved, which is just a little personal favourite of mine this year, is The Weight of Ink by Rachel Kaddish. Oh, tell me about which that. Which is a, a big historical fiction novel and you just disappear into it. In fact, I disappeared into it over a day and a half, partly time constraints because that's when I managed to get hold of the book and I was going to be talking to her, but 13 hours very well spent, very quickly. Um, But it's the story of an archivist who is um, asked to come in and to assess some papers in a house in in Britain now and uh, finds what seems to be text uh, of 15th century uh, Jewish London, Mm. 16th century Jewish London. Um, And so it it moves back and forth in time periods. It's a panoramic and yet incredibly intensely personal novel uh, and it's it's just a wondrous piece of historical fiction. I think you can really just fall into it. Everyone I've given it to has just fallen into it and lost a few days that way and that's a really fun thing to
0: be able to do. Oh, It's a, it's a glorious thing. It's a gift. It I is think. a gift, yeah. What about some of the, our Australian authors? Oh,
1: we've got Holly Throsby's Cedar Valley, which is the second novel in what I'm calling her Goodwood
0: series. Now, I loved this book actually. Yeah. There was something about her quiet pace and the way that she sort of reflects this little town that she sent this story in that I found completely charming and sort of mm. heartwarming, even though it's some people calling it a crime novel.
1: I guess it's more of a maybe a mystery. Mm. I guess it would even on some surface level fall into like a cosy mystery kind Mm. of thing and yet it's not cosy because it's really cutting to the bone of a lot of trauma that exists within families and not big exciting trauma but just everyday small traumas that, that make up people as well. But she just loves these people and she loves the place it's set. And as I, as she said herself, she just loves small towns, so she loves writing about them.
0: Does she live in a small town?
1: No, she doesn't. No, she lives in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's uh, toured around um, with her music in many, many small towns yeah. and is always aiming to live in one, I think. But it's definitely also a book for uh, my generation, those of us who, I guess, were teenagers in the 90s, because mm. it's set in the 90s and it has such a deep affection for this sort of time when we would you know the internet was becoming Mm. and so people were still moving at a slightly slower pace in a slightly different form of connection so you know for those of us who are now old enough to read our nostalgia books it's it also fulfills that need but it's just such a good story and the first one Goodwood is fantastic Mm. too it's you don't need to read them together obviously they're just set in the same world that she's created but um yeah, no, that's that's a great one, I think.
0: I agree. I, I really enjoyed them. Have you read the, uh, the New Jane Harper?
1: I have not read The New Jane Harper. I, it's, you know, on my list always. Have you read The New Jane I Harper? I have read The New Jane how did you Harper. you find it?
0: I think this is perhaps her best book yet. Right. It is so evocative of a part of Australia that not all of us are familiar with. It's set out in the desert, there's the dust and the Dirt and the flies and the relentless heat it is quite a shocking story in a way but it uh, I was reminded of it when you talked about Holly just being able to grasp and write about the small things that happen in a family that have larger consequences in the end and that is something that Jane Harper does brilliantly i believe
1: there was also another one that you were telling me you loved this year the tony jordan the fragments, fragments.
0: yeah i think again i think this is perhaps tony's uh, best book she has created a mystery as well uh that has twists and turns to the very last page it is delightful it's set in hot steamy brisbane and And New York. And New York in that wonderful time of the 1930s where we all dream about being alive at that time. I don't know why, but it all just seems so...
1: It all looks so good.
0: It just looks so good. And And you know it's going to come to an end. I think that's it. So it's... Yeah. 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 Tony's book is about uh, an author's second book, her first book being brilliantly uh, engaging to the whole entire world. Think to kill a mockingbird, that type of impact. Uh, The author writes the second book, but the manuscript is destroyed in a fire. This book is uh, the search for how and why that fire was started and how and why that author disappeared. It's a love story. It's a mystery. It's very Australian given all of the sort of parameters that I've just discussed, but uh, fantastic, fantastic. A page-turner. yeah, Perfect for the beach, I would mm. say. If you were lying on the beach uh, under a, a enormous colourful brolly, this is the type of book that you would want to pick up and it's possible that you would read that in one day. Yeah, so
1: definitely keeps you going. I mean, another one that that makes me think of that you could definitely read in one day and involves writing to a certain extent. Mm. But moving us away from um, crime or sadness or just melancholy but towards something that is really, is actually laugh-out-loud funny Oh, is uh, less.
0: Oh, you loved it. This is uh, on my pile to read, yes, actually. Because of yeah. you, this is not right next to my bed. Tell us a little bit about well, it. Well,
1: it, Andrew Sean Greer uh, won the Pulitzer for this.
0: Right. So not uh, shabby.
1: Not shabby. Won the Pulitzer Prize for fiction for this and... It's a comedy, which a comedy, a slight comedy too. It's, you know, you could fit it in a pocket if you had a coat on. Ooh. Potentially could fit it in a pocket of some harem pants or something if they had pockets. I mean, <laughs> it, is, it is pocket size, but it is still a book, so it's not really that small. But it's quite a, it's quite a thin narrative. Um, but it's such a rich story. So it's fast moving. It's about a man... Arthur Less is his name, and right. it's called Less. And he's, he's not a failed writer. He's just a writer who hasn't...
0: Hasn't made hasn't big time. He
1: hasn't felt he set the world on fire. Mm. And a lover of his, uh, they've since parted, is now getting married, and he's been invited to the wedding. And, you know, mm. they said they were going to stay friends. And socially awkward it's immediately. It's so socially awkward. He can't not go.
0: Yeah, because... Yeah. But he
1: can't go, and he's not sure what to do. So he says... He thinks to himself, what can I do? I can leave the country. That's really the only answer to this social (laughs) conundrum is to leave the country. And he manages to get himself all those jobs that a writer can get. So he gets an interview in New York and then he has a literary festival to go to in Mexico. And then he says he'll teach a semester somewhere in Germany. And he starts this world tour of a year basically to avoid... Uh, his ex-lover's um, wedding. That's why he goes on this trip. But it's it's about everything that happens while he's doing it and it's just so funny. Did it you really so laugh sad. out loud? I did actually laugh out loud. It, it, um, it shocked the cat. She was sitting next <laughs> to me. So she sort of darted up and went, oh, no, no, thank you. That's not what we do here. But it was that funny that I had to laugh out loud on my own, in my own house. Um, oh, that's
0: great. And
1: he calls it. The character himself calls it sort of the first story of older gay men. So these are the people who survived date who lived through it, who were out through the whole time.
0: How old is the protagonist in he's the book? He's only
1: 50. Yeah. But, um, you know, he's having a pretty – he's having a bit of a midlife moment. Mm, mm, uh, mm. So I think of it as one of the first great, picaresque, midlife
0: novels of uh, gay men. Fantastic. I'm so looking forward to reading it. Uh, so – what about if you were by, if you'd walked into one of our glorious readings bookshops and really your aim was to give a book to perhaps your aging parents or your brother and sister in the full knowledge that you were going to borrow that book as soon as they'd finished reading it? You know, that Ooh. glorious sort of moment where you realize that you're buying for two, for yourself, but you're disguising it as a gift.
1: Well, it's, it's hard to say because the ones I'd want to get for these people close to me I've already read. But the ones I want to go back to and mm. read again mm. would be uh, uh, a couple I've got here. And they're different but they're similar. So there is a non-fiction one, Deep Time Dreaming by Billy Griffiths, oh, which so. is a history of Australian archaeology. So people are
0: raving about this book. They're saying if you want to know the very essence of what it is to be living in our fine country, this is the book to go to. Absolutely.
1: It's it's a book that manages to describe the ways in which we become through what we research. Mm. So the political implications of Indigenous archaeology, the uses of it, the abuses of it, the... He doesn't shy away from the fact that most of the archaeologists are white Mm. and most of the archaeology is Indigenous. Mm. He weaves a tapestry of this land that was this continent that had had millions and millions of people live in it before the advent of white Australia. And it brings that back and the political effect of that, the emotional and social effect of that and also just the creation of another form of archaeology is is where this book is sort of situated. But Mm. it moves, it has some fantastic pictures too of archeologists in wacky outfits, which is always fun. But it moves (laughs) through a number of vignettes too about different archeologists, all the way from say the forties till now. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful book. I think it's, it's it's literally for anyone. And I want to read it again. So I would be giving it and yes, then borrowing it back. The other one is a very small novel, Ooh. which I feel everyone should read. Mm. No one's probably seen. It's called Ghost Wall by Sarah Moss. We actually featured it in our um, November newsletter. Uh, Sarah Moss is an author, I think, who's really flown under the radar in Australia. Mm. Um, I came to her because she wrote a fantastic travel narrative called Names for the Sea about Iceland. And I, people who have a... heard me talk about anything, they know how much I love Iceland. Yes, you do. Um, Look, uh-huh. Ghost Wall is about 150 pages. Mm. Uh, about a teenage girl in the 90s again, uh, stuck through family circumstance, reenacting Iron Age Britain. But it is a novel that gets to the essence of look what we call now what we the way in which we talk about now Brexit or Me Too, right. basically yep. meaning xenophobia and racism or the patriarchy. And it weaves in 150 pages how, how those things can happen in the Iron Age, in 1990s Britain, at any time. It's mm. just a beautiful, beautiful little mm. novel. So I would definitely want to give that to everyone because I think you can get anyone to read something that's only 150 pages, even if it's not what they thought they mm. wanted to read. That's And true. once they start, her language is so immediate, it's so beautiful. And there's so much. It's a book that just keeps on giving.
0: I guess my pick for uh, that type yeah. of gift would be... Yes, what are you taking back? All right, so I look to... And my non-fiction pick would be the Michael Pollan book. Yes. Uh, how to Change Your Mind, how The New Science of Psychedelics. So this is really about microdosing. Uh, look, it's a book that I listen to as a talking book, mm. which is Michael Pollan uh, for hours and hours on end with his c- sort of kind reassuring voice Uh, but I haven't read it and I would like to go back. It's the type of book that I fantasise about giving to many, many people because I think perhaps they could benefit themselves from a little micro dosing changing their mind at least. yeah it could at least change, <laughs> change their, their mind. mind yes so that that's perhaps my cheeky choice but it's mm. not really that cheeky because it is uh, based on science and it's based on history yes. and like all of michael's books he goes back to the beginning of time and takes us right up to the present day yes. in terms of novels uh, I was so so taken with my year of rest and relaxation.
1: Have you Ah, read this yet? I have not read this
0: yet. Look, this uh, this
1: amazing. That's
0: how you say. That's right. I I think you're right. I I think you're right. I think you're spot on. Mm. She's from New York, and she writes about a young woman in the sort of throes of grief that decides for a year just to to take a year off. So to do that, she quits her job. She finds herself a doctor that will prescribe her enormous amounts of drugs and she decides that she wants to just sleep for a year just sleep it off uh, it doesn't sound like that should be enough of a plot to keep you going but it's darkly darkly funny and incredibly poignant the ending the ending made me cry and not so many novels do that i think this is a young writer that is just
1: yeah well one of her previous books was non, um, shortlisted for the booker in 2016 Ireland. Yeah. yeah yeah so she's definitely uh, she's coming she's, into her own she, and again yeah. another young
0: woman in her mm. 20s i mean yeah. they, these voices of these young women are, really you said, they're blowing amazing, my mind. they're yeah. amazing, amazing Absolutely amazing uh but look you know, if it was just, if I was buying a book for sort of a brother or sister or someone that perhaps didn't read so much, I would actually look at something by, uh, I, don't, I I
1: don't would know, go I... with uh, the books that saved my life, the oh. Michael McGurr. Oh, that's yeah. a
0: very good idea, that's actually. That's what I would go
1: with. I mean, he talks about everything from War and Peace, which is also a very personal story about um, his father dying or being incredibly sick in hospital and going home and turning it on when it, the docu- when the um, miniseries started on television mm. and getting lost in war and peace. He also weaves into that a story of Tolstoy's inability to actually have empathy in his own life, even if he was creating it in his novels. Um there's a little bit on Herodotus, if you like that. There's a bit on Harry Potter. There's, and he's written a number of reviews, and he's a teacher. And he's it, a Melbourne teacher. He's isn't a Melbourne he? teacher, and yeah. it's just a fantastic book to dip in and out of because there's always the relative that wants to dip in and out, and the relative that you're not quite sure what's going to grab them. So give them a, give them many things in one.
0: That's right, because there are those readers, isn't there? That, uh, those people that don't actually read a novel. No.
1: A lot of people don't read a
0: novel. Mm, mm.
1: A, lo- a lot of people would like something else that they can get into. I mean, and also sometimes with a narrative, but they just want it to be, I guess, real in a specific way that they feel. And I found Sea Shaken Houses, mm. which is um, a history of uh, lighthouses in Britain by uh, Tom Nancolas, which is great. It's it's like a adventure story, which is also a history of lighthouses in
0: Britain. <laughs> That sounds to me like it might be the perfect book that you would give to someone if you were taking the long haul flight over to the UK.
1: Absolutely. I think so. I think any book about getting away, whether you're actually getting away or just wanting to get away, yeah. like books about taking too many drugs, all of our <laughs> stories are about getting away, being far, far from where we are. That's and true. That's, that's what you want when you've got some time off, I think.
0: Have you read the new quarterly essay yet, Marie? I haven't. I'm going to have that on my pile of Uh things to read by Sebastian Smith.
1: On our digital age. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think that looks very compelling.
1: I think it's interesting how much we're – so many of the books that we have this year um, in in the last couple of years have moved away from the digital age. We're Mm. moving back into nature, moving back into the past. like Tim Flannery's uh, Europe, A History – where he kind of goes through the natural history of Europe and also the early human history, the Anthropocene history of Europe. And just Europe we think of as like, you know, you can't get more civilized, can you? More densely populated, more seemingly created by humans. And he pulls, he sort of strips all that back, which is, I think, really fascinating. And again, you can dip in and out of that. You can read it as a narrative.
0: I think what you're saying is quite true, that there are themes that seem to be emerging and it certainly seems to be a theme of nature, of escape, yeah. of putting down the phones, of not being contactable. These are the themes that we're seeing over and over in yeah. novels and non-fiction.
1: I think we've definitely seen that. I mean, are, are you finding that in... I know that you review all of our uh, cooking and uh, gardening kind of books. And are you finding that in that? Are there any of those, have that sort of narrative or this like harking back? Uh, There's certainly
0: a harking back. There's uh, a great emphasis, a delightful emphasis on community, on growing your own vegetables, on giving dishes away, talking to your neighbours, looking for some very simple food. Yeah, I, I find it... Reassuring, actually, that for a while we all went a bit hedonistic, if you like. We all went, ooh, look at this. I've got the whole entire world at my fingertips. But actually, for me to relax, I just need to settle into my own little plot mm. and look around at my neighbours and look around at my family and see what they're saying and feed them and show my love mm-hmm. through those sort of actions. Like a
1: retro suburbia.
0: This, Retro Suburbia, this is a terrific book, actually. It's a a gardening book and it does talk very much about Mm. that theme of just pairing it right back Mm. and rather than enjoying news from far-flung countries, actually just going out and seeing whether the lemon on your lemon tree has got a little bigger overnight.
1: And that... I hope it has. It
0: look, yeah, look all it needs is a little sunshine and a little love.
1: Oh, that's that's pretty wonderful.
0: That's pretty much what we all need isn't it? It is Marrow? it is
1: what we need, a little sunshine, a little love
0: and a little coffee.
1: A Little coffee. Mm. Some more reading.
0: Some more reading. Some more reading. So just as we're finishing up, I'd love to know what's on your reading pile for the the long hot days. Well, two things. Mm.
1: Quite different. Mm. Well, as far as I know, they're going to be quite different. Maybe they'll turn out to be similar. I'm sure we'll find connections. But one is the um, story of thread.
0: Oh, which I, I, I have um, heard about this.
1: The Sinclair book. She wrote one called the Story of Color. Sorry, oh. it's called the Golden Thread. This is it. I keep looking at it and then forgetting the name of it. What I don't forget, even though I have forgotten the name several times now, it seems, is <laughs> that I, I heard a podcast with her and she was talking about it was not just the history of material. So, for instance, the Apollo um, space mission uh, oh. suits were oh. actually made by people who had been making, I think it was they made costumes for something else completely. Like right. it was really weird. Like they were sewn by hand. Right. But it's also, in a way, a corrective. It's a story of Work that was, to be honest, in the main, mostly done by women mm. and mostly done slowly mm. and therefore discounted. A considered movement, yeah. It's a considered movement. And, you know, one of her things, which made you, you made me think about with the Retro Suburbia, is that because of fast fashion or because of the the distance now from production to use mm. of clothing, we've lost any ability to appreciate the actual work that goes into it and the art of it and the innovation of it. Mm. Uh, So I can't wait to get into that, Mm. particularly once I remember the name. (laughs) The Golden Thread. Yep, Mm. yep. Golden Thread. Yep. I've got the name now. I'll be fine. And the other one I've just started is on my bookshelf, um, and I picked that up last night and started, is one that was recommended to me, uh, again, by Alison, Mm. our um, readings head buyer, uh, called A Different Drummer. By William Melvin Kelly. Now it's one of those books that's been sort of rediscovered. sort of like a Stoner or a Sweet Francais or something. Oh, yeah. So it was written in the early '60s, I think, 1962. Um, and a woman, an American journalist, found out about it because she found a copy of Langston Hughes, one of Langston Hughes' books, a first edition. Who's a great American writer, um, African American writer. Um, which was inscribed to this man she never heard of, William Melvin Kelly. Enjoy this, love your book, you know. So she goes, Who's William Melvin Kelly? Mm. And she follows her and she finds his first novel, which is, it's not like it's lost. It was it was actually popular at the time. He actually is the uh, person who coined um, the term you are woke, is actually oh. him in, oh. in another thing, not in this novel. But so it's. Um, It's a huge allegory and so far the writing is fantastic. Mm. It starts off in a small kind of southern state sort of sandwiched between all the southern states we know of um, during um, the sort of post um, pre-civil rights, early civil rights period, post-reconstruction of the South period uh, in which all of the African-American people have left the state. What are they going to do? Yeah. What's going to happen next? And it, to be honest, it reminds me maybe of a Margaret Atwood in terms of taking all of the all of the things that are actually happening now, the, you know, historical truth, truths of uh, change and racism uh, and switching on its head in this kind of bizarre allegory that could happen. There's nothing to stop it happening except that it hasn't happened. So I'm only in Chapter 1, but I'm going to get there. Chris, what about you? What's on your list?
0: Well, I've got two novels. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to reading Shell, which is about uh, the Sydney Opera House, the creation of the Sydney Opera House. The
1: Christina Olsen. Yeah. 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 So...
0: Actually, I've not read any of her works before. Uh, people tell me she's such a beautiful writer. The edition that I have is a hardback with a, a, with a gorgeous picture of the opera house on it. It seems to me the type of book that's going to take me into the, the drama of the time, not just the creation of the opera house. I'm yeah. so, so looking forward to reading yeah. it. And uh, I have bought as a little gift for myself the Convenience Store Woman. Oh, that has have been. It, I, a, yes. Have you read this yet? But I'm not sure how to say her name. Yes. Siaka Marata, maybe. Murata? Sounds good. Yeah.
1: sounds good. No, I have read about it. I have not read it. This so, is. I mean, it's. A, I a, should. A, Perfect for me. Short novel. Love a short novel. It's a
0: very short novel. It's uh, about a Japanese woman who works in a convenience store in Tokyo, and about the customers that come and go, and I think some sort of reckoning happens. I'm not sure. Yeah.
1: It has been really well heralded, hasn't it? It's, yeah, it's sort of...
0: I think yeah, one of the yeah. things that I've enjoyed the most this year in the reading is these voices of these young women yeah. that are coming from all over the world and the way that they're uh, looking at the world critically uh, but also with kindness. And it seems to me that these are the voices that are going to be our I've future. Got, I've got
1: one last oh, one to go, slide Oh, go, go, go. You got me with the voices of young women from around the world. What I... One of like a book that I found great this year and felt like it was written for me, Ooh. which I describe as a quiz in a cold climate, <laughs> which is Crimson by Niviak Corneliusen, which is a Greenlandic novel written originally in Greenlandic, of which there are very few novels over time. Uh, she's also in her 20s. And she who translated this. it? She translated it herself oh. into the Danish, and from the Danish, it was. Translated into the French and a few other languages, and then now into English. Um, and I cannot, I'm sorry, remember the name of the translator into English. But I love that she translated it herself into Danish, oh, which is what incredible. took it from Greenlandic, which is a polyphonic language. In so, in each word, will have like an entire thought in it, oh. rather than just a single word. So it's it's an interesting language to translate. Um, but she translated into Danish, which is, you know, a modern European language that we understand, um, into conceptually understand. And it's the story of a group of uh, young people in Nook, which is um, the capital of Greenland. Greenland only has 57,000 people or something. Wow. But a lot of them live in Nook. And it's the story of these young people falling in their love, discovering themselves over one long night. They're taking too many drugs, drinking too much, you know, having ruptures with themselves, ruptures with the older um, Greenlandic community, sort of reconciling the nature of being a colonised people, which the Greenlanders are, um, the Inuit of, the, of, of that area, and... Um, It's just fantastic. I'm going to put it on my pile. what an exciting young voice. And a novel from Greenland. I never really thought I'd get to read one. I mean, I think there's less than 20 originally written in Greenlandic that exist. And this young woman, this young queer woman in her mid-20s has uh, done the one that's, like, broken
0: through. It's great. Can't wait. Marie Madison, I am going to put that on my pile to read. I think this is all we've got time for today, except, I guess, as a summary that if you are looking for the perfect read over summer, Marie and myself could not recommend to you more books by young women. Have a look for all those women that are writing that are aged under 30. For books that are, for another sort of theme, books that are on our great country, how it was created, why it was created and where it's going. Look for themes about community. Look for... uh, Books that have a quiet sense of Australia. And most of all, be safe and keep reading.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me, Chris. Thank you, everyone. Enjoy your reading. Uh, And books will save your life, won't they?
0: They absolutely will. Yeah.